You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Malcolm Films Reese, which originally aired November 30th, 2003, was directed by Levi Isaacs, and written by Dan Kopelman. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast has been an update of the Melgram Experiment the whole time. And I'm David, and my wishing podcast never calls you a creep or a perv. This definitely isn't your wishing podcast, then. <laughs> wow, I hate you. <laughs> Go away. Well, before we get into this week's episode, as usual, we have our community segment. Starting with a big thank you to everyone who supports us over on Patreon, where we are Let's Play Death Ray, which is... Uh, how you also gain access to our secret podcast, Uncaged. And we also have some poll results. Looking back on Goodbye Kitty, which we were in agreement in that episode that Reese was the least shitty kid, uh, just sort of by default, because he spent the entire episode sort of reading through the diary and the internet agreed with us with reese one with 60 percent of the vote uh with the remainder being split between francis and dewey and uh erica wrote in uh letting us know why she had a dissenting vote on that one saying i can't vote for reese because he put his dirty socks on a food contact surface uh, uh you know what that's 100 percent fair uh that he did do that <laughs> he did then for shittiest kid you chose malcolm for pelting stevie with volleyballs and uh making fun of his disability which is fair uh, while well, I chose Francis for killing a poodle, a horse, and almost an auto. And the internet uh, kind of narrowly agreed with me on that one. Francis won with 50% of the vote, with 25% going to Reese, 12.5% going to Malcolm and Dewey. And Erica also wrote in on that poll saying she voted Dewey as uh, shittiest because if I don't get to nap all day, neither should he. Wow. <laughs> Come on now. It's a fair point. But that does it for our community segment this week. So let's get into the episode. And it, of course, starts with a cold open... Uh, which starts with Lois putting Jamie to bed, uh, putting him in his little uh, bassinet. And when she like turns around and notices that Hal has left a rose on her pillow. And as she like picks it up and smells it, Hal comes in with a bottle of wine and two glasses. And, you know, no knowing what he's up to, Lois tells him, you know, they can't do anything, it'll wake the baby up. But Hal reassures her that that's what old reliable's for. And he, uh, turns on, like, a slow jam, uh, soul music song. Uh, which I couldn't find credited anywhere what the song is, and I do not recognize it. 
And he says that, uh, besides, uh, babies Jamie's age don't remember anything anyways. <laughs> and it cuts to the boys' room, where all three of them, they're, as soon as the music starts to play, their eyes snap open, and they all assume the fetal position and just start shaking. <laughs> it's like a Pavlovian response to this music. That's right, Jake. Operant conditioning. Getting into the episode proper, we will, of course, begin with the F-plot. And it starts with Otto running in to the lobby, very excited about the newspaper. <laughs> Which, uh, Piyama seeing this as, you know those show up every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a special day. Yes, because their review... And the lifestyle section is supposed to be in this paper uh, by the, the uh, local critic. Uh, I don't remember his first name, Plummer. Did you say Plummer? It's Charles Cutler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not going to lie, I mixed up which shitty uh, Broncos quarterback. He had the same last name. As. Wow. That's 100% why I remembered the last name at all. Bro. <laughs> Oh, that that's that that's funny that I mix them up that way. <laughs> that is embarrassing. <laughs> Meh. Look, all cut all cutlers and plumbers are the same to me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Need to do. We're all call. synonymous with disappointment. Oh. <laughs> but uh, Otto gives Francis the uh, newspaper because he is a. Uh, too nervous to read it himself and francis starts to like silently read it and like his expression gets uh like very concerned as he starts to read out loud this very negative review which uh like halfway through he hands it off to piyama to like finish off with this very just like Absolutely nothing positive to say, just shitting all over the grotto review. And as they finish it up, uh, Otto says he was too nervous to even hear what they were saying. Read it again. Then <laughs> when we come back, we see uh, like Francis and Piano once again like uh, behind the desk of the lobby. And Francis is talking about how there's been a bunch of cancelizations. Uh, because of this very negative review that they got. And Otto shuffles in, looking like very disheveled and wearing a bathrobe. And Francis asks him if he's going to change out of the robe today, but he says, what's the point? And pulls his Innkeeper of the Year award off of the wall and throws it in the fireplace. Yes, lie of the century. That's right. And... Francis uh, tells you, know, don't do that. You worked really hard for that award. Otto uh, sort of blows him off and says that that all means nothing now. Then we see uh, Francis has gotten in contact with the newspaper and they have agreed to uh, send the reviewer back out uh, for a second chance for the grotto. And when Piyama asks him how he managed to convince them... He's very persuasive, Jake. Oh, you cried? <laughs> <laughs> like a baby. That's right. 
and they're like sprucing up the grotto, getting everything ready for the return of the critic. <laughs> and uh, Otto like rushes in and tells him that he's coming, so everyone act normal. And of course, they both like put on big cheesy smiles and stand there waiting. And as soon as uh, Jake Plummer walks in, <laughs> he, he starts essentially like doing his review live for them as he's talking about, yeah, it's hard to choose which of his five senses are violated the most as he enters the grotto. Rude. Otto like offers his uh, hand for a handshake. He says, sight and smell, a uh, you know, leap to the forward. As uh, this uh, innkeeper offers his sweaty hand like a trained bear who's been uh, taught to handshake for a sugar cube. Then <laughs> uh, he like walks away from Otto over towards Francis and Piyama. And he, uh, when Francis like starts you know, asking him to uh, reconsider. He, like, cuts him off, calling him a pleading vulture, and he starts uh, talking shit on their uh, clothes. Then he says he's so disgusted by everything that he barely has the strength to ask for them to validate his parking. <laughs> Which, when Piyama offers to do that and t uh, takes the paper from him, he, like, sees her and says that she is uh, clearly the hotel's uh, token native employee who's uh, there as a pathetic nod to diversity. I have to say, I appreciate this bit, but also, who the fuck validates parking in Montana? No, it's not Montana. It's Arizona. Are they in there? Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah. 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 That, 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 that one is confirmed. That one is confirmed. Why was I thinking they were in Montana? No, oh, wait, sorry. Not, not, not Arizona, New Mexico. New Mexico? So, yeah, yeah, because they're near Roswell. Yeah, because all the alien stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dude, my brain's not working. I need caffeine. Clearly. Coffee would be great. It is. Anyways. I have some right here. I hate you. This is another reason for me to punch you in the mouth. Realize <sighs> that. I'm ordering. Are you going to put thumbtacks on your knuckles first? or? Uh, with glue, Jake. With glue. Yeah, obviously. How else would you do it? Uh, like a smart person and attach them to gloves. Anyways, we're getting sidetracked here. My point is, okay, either way, still, no one's validating parking out in the middle of nowhere. Fair. <laughs> no one is doing that on any ranch. I don't care if you're in Alaska, New Mexico, or Montana. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but Francis uh, you know, calls him out on this, saying, this is my wife, which upon hearing that... Uh, he looks, like, disgusted and says that it's, uh, not enough for, uh, th these employees to ruin one generation of vacationers' experiences. That they have to breed and, uh, create a never-ending stream of baboon-like hoteliers. Then it just hard cuts <laughs> to the critic in a stretcher. Uh, looking very beat up, <laughs> and uh, Francis is apologizing to Otto, saying, I don't know what happened. It's like someone else was beating him up. Meh. And 
as he is being wheeled away, the critic starts to uh, give his review of the ass-kicking they gave him, <laughs> saying he's seen more impressive butt-kickings on the playgrounds of a preschool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is just another reason to punch him again. <laughs> I, I do uh, admire his commitment to his... Very shitty craft. <laughs> yeah, you would. But also, yeah, dude, this is why I hate critics, because every critic I've ever met has been exactly like that. Wow. I'm just saying. I mean, have you met a critic other than me? Do I need one other than you? But also, yes. <laughs> yes, I have. But <laughs> you walked into that one. But uh, the F-plot wraps up. As uh, when we return to the grotto, it is, like, full of flowers and gift baskets, and Francis and Piamma are both very confused, and uh, when they see Otto, he, like, runs over to them with the newspaper, very excited, and Francis asks, uh, did we somehow get a good review out of that? And Otto says, no, there is no review. They replaced it with a much more interesting story, and he gives the paper to Francis, and he reads out the headline, which reads, Crazed Local Assaults a Newspaper Reviewer. And then Fra Francis asks, okay, but where are all these flowers coming from? And Otto explains that everyone in the state hates this guy, and these are all from uh, various other hotel owners and restaurant owners who have gotten negative reviews from this guy that are all uh, very happy that they kicked his ass. And they have been sending gifts and uh, overflow customers to the grotto. And uh, that is it for the F block. Yeah, but I do you really need more? That was that was some real hero Francis stuff right there, man. Yeah, it was pretty good. We all know my stance on critics, so I appreciated the Seth plot very much. I will say he's uh, not a very good critic. <laughs> See, uh, the, correct. The key to a uh, good criticism is that you you need to explain uh, the the particulars of why the thing is getting a negative response out of you. He's just using a lot of like flowery language to say that it's shitty. Bad job. Yeah, and yet. So similar to so many critics. Weird. Eh. But uh, getting into the next plot line, uh, we will go to the D plot. Dude, are you seriously? What, what, is, what is this plot line in your diseased mind? Disease? Oh, oh, it's on. It's on. You want to you wanna Herkaby me? I mean, I do aspire to be such a hero. Oh, hero my ass. The man is a creeper, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> You're, mm, I, I know where you live. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'll burn this house down just to get to you, Jake. <laughs> my, I hate you. Uh, no, this is the B plot for box. Gah. Okay. Oh, try to tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm not. This is the, the D plot for Dewey. No, it's the B plot for Box, you dingus. The box is not the star. Dewey is the star. No, the box is the star, and we'll explain. 
It starts with Dewey telling Lois and Hal that he wants to make sure he gets to school on time this morning because he has to turn in his diorama, which he is uh, carrying like a little cardboard diorama with a little dinosaur very prominently featured. I do appreciate the level of effort Dewey is uh, including in this deception. Fair, but... We then see Dewey uh, walking, you know, presumably to school with all of his stuff, with all of these other kids. But then as they uh, reach a corner, all of the other kids turn left, and Dewey turns right, crossing the street, where he promptly throws the diorama and his sack lunch in the garbage, then uh, walks behind like a bunch of trees and bushes, Uh, leaving behind his backpack and pulling out a duffel bag and a uh, hanger with, like, a covered uh, outfit of some kind. Then, uh, the, the next time we see Dewey, he is coming into the house, and as he's walking past Lois and she asks how school was, he says, It was great. I was definitely there. Eight times five equals 40. (laughs) (laughs) Lois starts to question this but uh, gets cut off by the phone reading which distracts her from (laughs) Dewey's strange behavior and as she is on the phone Dewey notices a letter on the kitchen table from his school that says urgent and he waits for Lois to turn around and quickly grabs it and, like, stuffs it down his pant, the front of his pants and walks away with it. Then we once again see Dewey arriving home. Uh, this time as he's walking in, he, like, happens to catch his reflection in the toaster and realizes that he has uh, clipped to his ear like a flashing clip-on earring. And he quickly pulls off and puts in his pocket as he walks into the kitchen. Then we finally see where Dewey has been going instead of school every day. As we see his uh, performance as a street contortionist slash magician. Uh-huh. Going by Le Great El Foldo. Yeah, because he's folding himself into a box. Right, but he he's the star of this thing, not the box he folds himself into. Wrong. That's what people are looking at is the box. Without the box, this doesn't happen. I'm sorry that you don't, just like the Academy, <laughs> that you don't believe in the Supporting Actors Award. But, uh, it's like a supporting actor. Yeah, it's a prop. <laughs> no, it's a supporting actor. Wow. And I bet you think Carrot Top isn't a comedian. I mean... Wow. Not a good one. Wow, Jake. Oh, look, no one said good. Uh, <laughs> no wonder you always tune out when they start talking about best supporting role. Jeez, just like the Academy. Joke's on you. I don't watch the Oscars at all. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dewey... Uh, his performance, which uh, is complete with, like, he has a full, like, bright sequin suit, including the flashing earrings that we saw earlier, and he, like, contorts himself into this tiny box, then 
it like falls apart and is empty which of course the, the the crowd like gasps when they see that and then he comes walking in like from behind back into the circle where he throws his duffel bag down and people cheer and clap and fill it with money <laughs> then back at home dewey asks hal and lois if someone was making enough money, wouldn't it make sense for them to stop going to school? Which Hal immediately says, no, you have to go to school. But when Dewey uh, presses saying, but say someone was making four to $500 a week. And Lois sort of sarcastically says, okay, Dewey, if you're making four to $500 a week, you can quit school. And Dewey just smiles and says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and walks away. And he walks over to a vase that's in the living room, uh, sitting on a shelf, and he puts his earnings for the day in that vase. Then uh, we, we get a uh, repeat where we once again see Dewey's routine. Uh, then... Uh, this plotline will sort of wrap up in conjunction with the next plotline. And that, of course, is the HL plot for Hal and Lois. Really? Mm-hmm. Hal and Lois? Yes. No. This is just the L plot. For laundry? La for laundering. Because okay. Hal's yeah. boss yeah. and the yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I actually followed that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually followed that one. Fuck you. That's, that's a good one. I'll give you that one. I, they've all been good. You just have no taste. No. No. This plot line starts with Lois. Uh, it actually starts like an exterior shot of the house with Lois yelling about how you two ruin everything that you touch. Uh, obviously, like, trying to, uh, you know, uh, make us think that she's yelling at two of the boys. But when uh, the camera goes inside, we see that she is actually yelling at the washer and dryer. <laughs> Which Malcolm turns to camera and explains that lately Lois is uh, paying more attention to the washer and dryer than them. And uh, as he's saying this, she's, like, continuing to scream about how they've ruined her new shirt. And as he's, like, finishing up, she kicks it. And Malcolm just turns back to camera and says, That might be for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Hal, you know, seeing Lois's frustration, tells her that it, you know, might be time for them to buy a new washer and dryer. He thinks that she should order some. And... She says that, you know, she would love to, but clearly they can't afford that. But Hal reassures her, saying that all of those worthless stock options his uh, work has been giving him in place of bonuses for uh, years now might finally pay off. Because uh, there's been a lot going on at work lately. A lot of people uh, flying in and out from New York. Lots of closed-door meetings. He's, uh... Pretty sure that the big merger is finally going through and those stock options are gonna be worth something. That's right. The payday's coming in. That's right. Just like your cryptocurrency right now. <laughs> Too soon? See, I used to be able to just, you know, not care about that. But, uh, 
with my my good buddy Square Enix <laughs> going going all in on uh, the NFT stuff. It's really it's re- really hits home now. <laughs> I like that you refer to a video game publisher as your good buddy. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like, hey, this is my good buddy Eric. Jake, it's like, hey, this is my buddy, a company, because I don't yeah. have real friends. Yeah. Exactly. I've got, I've got, I've got my you know close knit group of friends. I've got Square Enix. I've got Nintendo. I've got Atlas. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Atlas. <laughs> but uh, then we see Lois uh, on the phone talking about the features of a washing machine. Then uh, she says. Uh, oh no, I don't need to place an order. I ordered mine two weeks ago. I just like talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) There have been few things that I've been that excited for in my life, but, uh, as far as, like, products, but, yeah. I, there have been a few things where I'm like, man, I can't wait for this fucking thing to show up. I look at the Amazon page for it, like, every day, you know. I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, that's because, Jake, you, you know, never mind. That was gonna be mean. I don't want to say it that way. Uh, <laughs> go for it <laughs> no but you you don't uh you don't really uh use material things to enhance much of anything that you do like it there i guess <laughs> long story short you're a fucking hermit and you don't give a shit about like things yeah mostly yeah so it would be very hard for you to order something and be like ah I'm anticipating this thing. I don't do it like every day, but there are some things where I'm like, man, I've wanted one of these for 12 years. Jake's like, man, what's it like to want? Because I don't think about anything but coffee that much. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like even a new coffee, like it's not, you know, I'm not eagerly awaiting its arrival. I know because you don't eagerly await anything, Jake. My point. Yeah. I've known yeah. you your entire life. You don't get excited by shit. It's infuriating. <laughs> like, I am an underreactor. As, and I know people are not going to believe that. Like, I have to, like, ham it up at Christmas time because my wife expects these huge reactions. And my reaction to something that I really, really like and really, really want most of the time is, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that's, my, that's, like, my built-in reaction. And I really mean that. But you're even worse than I am. Because even I, there are a few things in life that I'm like, man, I can't wait for this to happen. And then Jake's like, I don't give a shit about anything ever. I hate you. You're the worst. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like all of my, like, energy that would go into, like, feeling of anticipation just goes into anxiety instead. And there's just none left over for, like, the positive (laughs) side of the thing. Ah, Jake. (laughs) D. You have to learn the secrets of the parent. You don't need energy. Your body will steal the resources from the atmosphere around you. It's how parents continue to live. Are you claiming all parents are energy vampires? <laughs> yeah, dude, 100% we are. That adds up. Yeah. Getting back to the episode, uh, we, we then see uh, the phone call, which uh, Dewey uses as a diversion. As Hal calls Lois while he's at work and tells her that he's pretty sure the murder is happening today. 
uh, because it has been super busy. There's been this big meeting all day that people have been running in and out of. You know, basically everyone in the company except for him. He's been playing Tetris all day. Hal, like, sees uh, his boss and a couple other guys in suits walking out of this meeting, and he, like, uh, steps out to, like, see what's going on, very excited, until he sees that his boss is in handcuffs, and they sort of awkwardly stop in front of Hal, and his boss uh, asks him to pull his jacket up over his head as they march him out. Then uh, we see Hal and Lois uh, at the table uh, talking about what's going on uh, with Hal, like, reading the newspaper. And he's explaining that, uh, you know, the company, the entire company is under investigation now and that they used the company's pension funds to buy a recording studio for the CEO's girlfriend. And, you know, now uh, with it being obvious that... <laughs> You know, their uh, stock options aren't going to be turning into this big payday like they hoped. Lois goes off to cancel the order, uh, but she has the company that they ordered through on speed dial, and she knows the, the operator who answers by name, and she has their order number memorized. Well, yeah, when you call several times a day. <laughs> right? Then... Uh, we see Lois trying to make amends with their shitty old washing machine, saying that they're going to be stuck together for a while longer. And she says, uh, I, I know I said some things <laughs> that I shouldn't have. And uh, to try to make it up to the washing machine, she has uh, brought home some name brand fabric softener for it. <laughs> <laughs> Then Hal is uh, continuing to follow the developments uh, at his company, which the latest one is that the chief financial officer uh, had his dog on the board of directors, which uh, Hal is upset about because he had to CC that dog in all of his emails. Yeah. I mean, imagine <laughs> finding out that, you know, your emails were getting approved by a dog. I would be super happy. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be strangely comfortable with that. Right. Would explain uh, the lack of communication, though. Yeah. It's the language barrier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then both this and uh, the D-plot sort of come together here as Hal is watching the news, and it is, of course, about his company. He's uh, watching uh, someone get uh, uh, brought out using the muffin guy as a human shield. <laughs> And as he is talking about this and Lois is, like, cleaning, she, like, turns to look and she knocks over the vase full of Dewey's money and it shatters and all of the money spills out and Lois and Hal are, of course, shocked and they start trying to figure out where all of this money came from because they, they both assume that it's a stash Hal started at some point and then forgot about how uh, speculates, well, was this the jet ski fund? But Lois says, no, we, we had to use that to uh, pay for uh, removing the remote from Reese. Uh, which just made me think of that. You remember that YouTube video of the kid who, like, freaks out? Yeah, and, like, shoves <laughs> the controller up his butt. Yep. 
hundred percent. I was like, oh, Reese, <laughs> no. But uh, then they decide that you know it doesn't matter where the money came from; it matters that they found it. And Dewey is, of course, watching all of this very upset. That, as they say, you know, that there must be a thousand dollars here. He mutters to himself, fourteen seventy three. <laughs> <laughs> And Hal says, uh, Dewey, you're part of this, and he gives him a dollar to go buy himself a pack of baseball cards. <laughs> Maybe he gets a Don Zimmer card. That could be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it'd be worth it. Maybe some of the boys of Zimmer? Oh, yeah. You do have yeah. to collect the whole boys of Zimmer. That's right. <laughs> Maybe it's a Zimmer summer. That could be. Summer of Zim. And now everyone else who's listening to this is going, what the fuck are they talking about? Unless they're big baseball fans like us, David. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We're definitely huge baseball fans. We know lots (laughs) about the the balls of bases. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't like how that sentence came out. (laughs) I'm sure you don't. (laughs) Thanks, Jake. Then, uh, like, both of these plot lines sort of wrap up together as Hal is using the new washer and Dewey is, like, standing beside him, like, criticizing everything that he's doing because he wants this washing machine and dryer to uh, last as long as possible. (laughs) And he he ends up just sending Hal away saying, I'll do it myself. What are you doing? You're only supposed to use two cups. (laughs) And be careful not to overload it. It's bad on the bearings. Dewey paid very close attention. Clearly. I mean, he did pay for these. Right? (laughs) Uh, Clearly, in his mind, these are his machines. (laughs) I mean, they did come from his money. That's true. But he's the only one who knows it. That's right. Poor Elfoldo. That leaves only one more plot line. What, what what do you have this one labeled at? No, 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 no. You you get the chance to to name it right first. Well, clearly this is the MR plot or Mr. Plot. It's Malcolm and Reese. Okay. I see what you did with the with the Mr. and and mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. It's it's a good attempt. Uh much better than your others in this episode. However, uh, Jake, no, this is the redacted plot line because this is a HIPAA violation and I will not stand for this. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Herkimi should definitely lose his job for this. Right? Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> but uh, getting into it, uh, it starts in the classroom. <laughs> Where Herkaby is yelling at Stevie for being unable to identify a simple ca- uh, to identify a simple case study, and he says, I-, "I thought at least your ears worked, Mister Carnarvon." And then he says, "It's castration syndrome. I know it when I see it." Yes, it's, uh, not not castration syndrome, castration complex. <laughs> That's right. That's right. My yes. apologies. Then Herkaby misquotes Blake, which uh, Malcolm points out but by uh, saying idiot, because uh, Herkaby had ended it with fool. So the quote is, uh, those who generalize, uh, I think it's run the risk of making themselves idiots. So I think the quote, but he says uh, fools. 
no, it's you're you're making the quote more complex, just like Herkaby did. Which shocker that you guys share uh, a trait. No, it's it's William Blake. Uh, to generalize is to be an idiot. There we go. Bam. Ah, sorry. Look at that. Good job. I know. So, shit. I'm sorry. I made it less pretentious. Less. Pr- <sighs> <sighs> do you even know what that's from? Uh, I do not. Okay. Do you even know? Who- uh, I know who William Blake is. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was familiar with... Th- this is one of those quotes that I know, but I don't know the context of. Okay. But Malcolm, uh, of course, corrects him. And, of course, this uh, rubs her can be the wrong way, shockingly. <laughs> then as the bell rings, uh, Herkaby tells everyone in class that he wants a progress report on their term paper. And then Malcolm uh, asks Stevie to wait up for him because he has to... Uh, stay back and talk to her could be real quick, but Stevie says that he can't wait. He has gym class, so he has to go change. Tires. <laughs> and Malcolm uh, goes up and asks Herkaby for his term assignment. It's been a month, and he still hasn't given him his assignment. Herkaby just looks at him and says, You make it sound like I'm trying to sabotage your perfect GPA. <laughs> yeah, weird. He would never be threatened by Malcolm's intellect. Well, not threatened by, but they are adversaries. Yeah, Herkaby's an idiot. He didn't even finish He's the quote. Anyway, sorry. And he got it wrong. You're, you're, you're being a real Malcolm right now, David. Really? <laughs> yeah. See, it's, it's, it's not, you know, the, the, the specific wording that matters. It's the spirit of, of what, the quote that matters. Can't see the forest for the trees right now, David. Oh, you know, I hate that one. <laughs> that line is used by pretentious assholes who cannot argue the actual point, so they just try to repudiate everything that their opponent says by making their point not matter because, well, you just aren't good enough to see the big picture like me. I know you hate it, David. That's why I used it. <laughs> <laughs> You're being a real Herkaby right now, Jake, and I hate it. Of course. <laughs> He's a monster. No, no, I stand by all I don't this. think you want to be a Herkaby by the end of this. Uh, no, no, see, see, you're, you're, you're making unfounded assumptions based on a throwaway line, David. I won't have it. Oh, there's some <laughs> assumptions to be made, and they're not throwaway. They generally, <laughs> they generally come with, like, 8 to 10 minimum. Yeah, but there's no evidence to support that claim, Dave. You're just making uh, a baseless you know. assumption. But uh, Herkaby tells Malcolm to come to his office at lunch. And when Malcolm sort of hesitates and says, your office, Herkaby asks, why is everyone so afraid of my office? <laughs> and we see why as it cuts to Herkaby in his o- uh, office, which... Uh, they have a little plaque to remind us that he is the uh, dean of discipline at this school. And he's, like, giving some, like, general announcements uh, about, like, uh, student government elections and uh, JV basketball. And he ends it by publicly announcing the suspension of uh, Patty Lynn for violation number nine in the library. Then, as he ends the announcement, he turns to Patty Lynn, who's, like, standing uh, to the side, crying as he does this, and he says, I hope that stick of gum was worth it. 
which is time number two that I want to punch Herkaby in this episode, by the way. Why, for enforcing the rules? No, for violating his his position and the rights that are afforded and and the the respect and and trust that is given to him and he violates it wrong i hate that no no so see this uh it's a just effective discipline i know you don't <laughs> believe that so i'm gonna let it go but you're wrong i i i think when uh people were i think it was erica wrote it and was, uh, like are, are you sure you want to commit to this erica b is always right but this is one of the episodes people had in mind yeah weird can't imagine why <laughs> Hmm. One other one that I know is coming up that's pretty uh pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. know what it's like to you know corner myself with a bit that's gonna last an at least an entire season, if not the entire show. Yeah, you would never. I would never. <laughs> but Malcolm comes in and Herkaby gives him his assignment, saying that uh, he he knows Malcolm has been waiting for his term project and his patience has been rewarded and he pulls out a hat with a pie symbol on it and he gives it to Malcolm and when Malcolm like looks confused at it and asks what is this Herkaby explains that it's a hidden camera that the lens is on the emblem on the hat and that it uh, transmits wirelessly to this tape recorder which he pulls out which is very bulky (laughs) Uh, which made me laugh. Yeah, I mean, it still had to contain a VHS tape, Jake. Right, I know. <laughs> it definitely was not intended to be a joke, but it was one of those things that uh, definitely plays like one now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Herkaby explains that he wants Malcolm to do a case study on a deviant mind, the uh, most deviant mind they have access to at their school, the sort of mind that uh, can't even begin to tell the difference between right and wrong. (laughs) And Malcolm says, hey, that's my brother you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's not wrong. (laughs) Exactly. Herkaby says, exactly, I want you to film Reese and, you know, really get to the bottom of what makes him tick because uh, just his permanent record doesn't let us know who the real Reese is. And as he's saying this, he, like, takes a giant pile of folders that's apparently Reese's, you know, permanent file and, like, drops it on the desk. (laughs) Yeah, those are just his disciplinary reports, Jake. True. Yeah. Then Malcolm uh, says that he's not going to do it. He refuses, but Herkaby just says, you have one week. Then we uh, see Reese in the boys' room in the house as he is super gluing thumbtacks to his knuckles. <laughs> and hey, where's Dewey? And Malcolm is wearing the hat, apparently having decided to go along with this project. And he asked Reese how he's feeling. And Reese just says, how the hell should I know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How how in touch do you think he stays with his feelings? (laughs) They don't even talk. Clearly. And Malcolm asks, are are you happy? Are you sad? And he says, you know, like like when uh, you laugh, that that means uh, you're feeling like something's funny. And... 
Uh, Reese says, oh, like when I uh, tripped uh, that kid at school and his retainer went flying and landed in some dog poop? That was awesome. And Malcolm says, oh, so you, you think it's funny when other people get hurt? And Reese, like, dismisses him. Uh, and as Malcolm, like, starts to walk away, Reese finally opens up to him, saying, well, other people laugh at me. And Malcolm presses a bit more, saying, so when other people laugh at you, it hurts you, so you lash out and hurt other people? And Reese says, uh, no, what I'm saying is if you want to talk like a girl, go find a girl. And he stands up and punches Malcolm with his thumbtack knuckles and says, see, this is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Then we see Malcolm sitting at the uh, kitchen table doing some homework, and Reese is just, like, awkwardly standing in the doorway behind him, staring at him for a while. Then he finally, like, out of nowhere says, Sometimes I dream about singing. And when Malcolm, like, turns and says, What? He says, uh, Real high, like that guy from uh, Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and uh, when Malcolm says, okay, and starts to go back to his homework. Reese, like, walks into the room and says, well, you were asking about stuff the other day, so I thought maybe you were uh, interested. And realizing what's happening, Malcolm says, oh, yeah, I am interested. Uh, my head's kind of cold, isn't yours? <laughs> Which, of course, is his excuse to put the hat on and record their conversation. Yeah. Reese goes on to explain that in these scening dreams, he's surrounded by clouds. And when Malcolm asks him if he likes clouds, he says, yeah, he calls, what does he call them? Sky kittens. There you go. And he says, you know, it's weird telling all this stuff to someone he's never told anyone before. Uh, it's like Malcolm is his second wishing hole. And when Malcolm asks what a wishing hole is, Risa initially just says, Wait, you don't have a wishing hole? You should really get one. And he explains that his wishing hole is a hole in a tree, and that it's where you can uh, go to, to tell your wishing hole anything you want, and it won't call you dumb or a pervert. Yeah, exactly. It's like a bank for wishes. <laughs> and it cuts uh, from this conversation, like from a point of view shot from the hat cam to... Herkaby's office, where uh, Malcolm is showing this footage to Herkaby, who's congratulating Malcolm, saying, you know, it's really great footage, Malcolm's doing great. And Malcolm says, yeah, but I got it by being dishonest and tricking my own brother, I'm not doing this anymore, I quit. And when Herkaby threatens to fail him if he doesn't go through with it, Malcolm says, That's fine, I'll make up the class in summer school. I'm done. Then we see the start of Steamy's presentation for his term paper. He starts by saying that there's 50 different uh, methods of negative transference. And the first one is... <laughs> and uh, of course, all of this is drawn out in typical Stevie fashion. So as he gets to that, Herkimi stands up and says, I think we can fill in the blanks from there. Wow. Uh, <laughs> poor Steve. <laughs> so there's like a long, awkward silence as Herkimi's just standing there while Stevie glares at him. <laughs> and then proceeds to roll away. Yes. 
Then Hercules says that there's time for one more presentation, and he grabs Malcolm's desk and pulls it to the front. And that is where he uh, explains to the class that Malcolm's term paper is a uh, modern take on the Milgram experiment. And Malcolm looks at him and says, Milgram experiment? And Hercules says, ah, so you don't know everything. <laughs> and he goes on to explain that in the original Milgram experiment, it was... Uh, testing how far people would go if uh, given prompts from authority figures to harm a perfect stranger. In particular, they thought they were electrocuting strangers. And this is a, a new take on it, as they're uh, not a stranger, but a beloved family member. And instead of physical pain, it's deep emotional trauma. <laughs> And he reveals that Malcolm, because he was told by an authority figure to do so, has been secretly filming his own brother's deepest, darkest secrets uh, to be shown to this class, even though it's the sort of thing other students would be very happy to go out and spread like wildfire through the entire school. <laughs> And uh, he shows, uh, like, the footage of Reese talking about uh, how much he likes clouds. Then a monster. he shows footage of Malcolm, who was being recorded as he was uh, telling Herkimi that, you know, he wasn't going to do the experiment anymore, which Herkimi has edited the footage so that it's uh, just like the confession part of Malcolm saying, you know, uh, I tricked and exploited my brother. Then <laughs> it ends with footage of Reese at his wishing hole, wishing that he and Malcolm could be best friends forever. Rude. Then he wraps up this presentation by saying, you know, that they can't be sure if they would do the same thing in this situation. All that they can really be certain of is that Malcolm did. <laughs> Yep. Then Malcolm confronts Herkaby as Herkaby is out in his super shitty car, clearly about to uh, leave work. And uh, he yells at Herkaby for tricking him. And Herkaby, like, taunts him back, saying, Never underestimate your adversary. <laughs> <laughs> we, we played the game and I won. And he says that he knows that Malcolm considers himself both a intellectual and moral superior to Herkaby, but he thinks this little experiment has proven that he is neither. And he, like, tries to drive away, but his car immediately dies and he has to restart it. Then we see Reese sitting uh, at a table... Uh, outside at lunchtime, and as a couple kids walk by, they laugh at him, saying, I have a hole you can wish into. And Malcolm comes over to Reese and apologizes to him, saying that he went too far even for them, and that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> and he asks Reese what he can do to fix it. And Reese tells him to fly around the world backwards like Superman and turn back time 
to before he thought they were friends. Would be a neat trick. I mean, I think it would just kill everyone. I don't, I don't think that's how time works. Yeah, but it is how cartoons work, which is where Reese gets his science from, so I get it. That's not a cartoon. It's a live-action Superman movie, David. They also do it in the cartoons, Jake. And I assume Reese has seen it from the Saturday morning cartoons, not the live-action one. Man, both, both, both would make sense. I suppose. But then we see Malcolm enacting his plan to uh, make things right with Reese, which starts with him flicking like a cap from a bottle of pop uh, at a guy. So then it like hits him in the face and he turns to the guy sitting next to him and says, why'd you do that? And like shoves him. And then that guy says, why'd you do that? And shoves him back. And Malcolm just starts yelling, fight, 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 which of course prompts other students to start shouting fight, which turns it into a fight. <laughs> then hearing this commotion, Herkabee grabs his cattle prod <laughs> and starts to go out to deal with it, uh, just sort of shaking his head and saying, animals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, cattle prod on children. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you got, you gotta, you know, keep control, David. No. Otherwise, this fight could get out of hand. People could get hurt. The cattle prod's honestly a humane solution. To this Not e Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> Jake, you, you just have to keep them separated. Come on. <laughs> this is the early two thousands, Jake. Yeah. How do you think you do that? You got cattle keep... prod. No. You just say you gotta keep them separated. Hey! And then you don't pay them any mind. I've been informed. But uh, Malcolm then sneaks into Herkabee's office and uh, sets a door up as like an improvised barricade. A door up? Uh, or a, cha a chair up against the door, sorry. There you go, jeez. Then he gets on the PA system... And he tells everyone, you know, he knows everyone is aware of what he did to his brother, and uh, he can't turn back time and fix it, but he can uh, put them on even ground, which he does by confessing that he has been having sexual thoughts about the lunch lady ever since he saw some of her cleavage when she bent down. And he says, you know, now that he has been uh, reduced to a laughing stock to the entire school, they're even. But unfortunately, that does not protect Reese from the rest of the school. So he starts going through everyone's files, finding embarrassing things about them, going through in alphabetical order. She starts by... Uh, Pointing out that a kid who has been claiming that he spent all summer on a construction job was actually at theater camp. And he says that the, you know, there's a girl who was excused for uh, gym class this week because her herpes was flaring up. And there's another kid who wets his bed every time it's finals. And another girl forged her parents' signature so she could get a nose job. That's where... Herkabee turns to uh, one of the students and says, Mr. Zizix, uh, you have about 30 minutes to uh, wipe everything on your hard drives. Yeah, it's super creepy. <laughs> it is. I'll give you that. The implication is not good here for Herkabee. 
I mean, fair, but also with it being her comedian, it could be many different kinds of awful. Sure, but it's just, it's so, like, nah, this didn't age well. I do, I'm not sure it's a matter of aging. Okay. But yeah, th this, this, this line does definitely have an implication that I don't think they meant it to. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, yeah. Like the, 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 like, clear reason this line exists is for the Mr. Zizix line. Right. It's just, you know, an, an alphabet joke. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent, but uh, yikes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that is fair. It does have some very dark implications. Then we see the fallout from Malcolm's actions as he is like walking through uh, the school, is saying that uh, he's finished his uh two weeks of in-school suspension, and that things have uh really changed <laughs> since then. And, like, all of the students he's walking past are all, like, looking down, actively avoiding looking at each other, and no one is talking. And Malcolm says that he's created the uh, most polite high school in the country. Well, with one exception. Then we see Reese walking through the school, and, like, everyone he sees, he points out, like, uh, whatever deep, dark secret Malcolm leaked to the school as he walks past them. Like, we're referring to that as, like, their new names. <laughs> then Ma Malcolm says it's actually kind of impressive how good his memory is for this kind of thing. <laughs> then it wraps up with the lunch lady looking at Malcolm and shooting him a wink. Which makes Malcolm look very flustered and uncomfortable as he just, like, walks away. Also super creepy. You are not wrong. <laughs> but that, uh, does wrap up this episode, so let's go to our awards. Awards. We will begin, as usual, with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you choose that, David? I have to go with the uh, with with the street performance uh, of, of Dewey, especially the first time we see it. It's just yeah. so good. It's awesome, and the the like showmanship and craziness of it is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, that that was also my first choice. I think I think it has to be. It's just so good. And they do such a good job too of just like building up to it. <laughs> Uh, but since you took that, I will go with my backup, which is Reese's thumbtack knuckles. Just the 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 sight of him super gluing these thumbtacks directly <laughs> to his fist is very funny. A hundred percent. That was my number two. Uh, moving on to our next award, what did you give your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. Uh, <laughs> so. I, I chose a, a couple of these, but I ended up settling to to give the award to kind of a throwaway line, but I just thought it was hilarious, and the imagery of it just kind of makes me laugh. And it comes from Stevie when uh, Malcolm asks him to ha hold up and wait for him because he's got to talk to Herkabee for a minute. He says, uh, got Jim, have to change my wheel. <laughs> I love Stevie so much, and... He only has, like, four lines in this whole episode, but it's so funny. Fair enough. 
Uh, mine is a uh, sort of a team effort between Francis and Otto. <laughs> it's uh, Francis said, uh, I'm sorry, it was like someone else was punching him. And then Otto's immediate follow-up, that was me. <laughs> Dude, I love that interaction between Reese and Otto. It's so good. It is. And I, I, I love it. And he got what he was he got what was coming to him. And don't be a <laughs> shitty critic. Fair. And uh moving on to our next award, which of these plot lines did you choose for the A plot of your heart? So I gave the A plot to the F plot. I this F plot made me laugh a lot. Okay. Also, I hate critics. And a critic got punched in the face a lot and beat up. It feels like this F plot was written for me. <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. Right. I did not choose it. I chose the uh, Mr. Plot. Ah, uh, I mean, wrong name, but. It's, uh, well, one of the things I think the show does really well is, uh, shitty people being very shitty. And, uh, it's really on display here. It sure is. And Huckabee should know better. He should be closing his door. Come on now. That is fair. It is It is his one mistake in this episode. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. No, Jake. <laughs> his also, one, his, one his and only. files should be double locked, meaning that there should be a lockable door at the front and his cabinet should be locked. Like, come on. This is amateur shit here. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, I can... I, I guess his situation's a little bit different and that he's, like, in an administrative role, but, like, no teacher uses locks on their filing cabinets. Right, but no teacher is also, like, a guidance counselor or, you know, something like That's that. That's not true. I That's guarantee pretty you, common. I guarantee you the guidance counselor does. Uh, most likely, yes. But yeah. all teachers do have stuff protected by HIPAA in their filing cabinet. I'm sure, but not specifically mental health stuff. Uh, but moving on to our next award, who did you have as your favorite character? Obviously, Otto, because I love Otto anyways. And then to see the, you know, the happy, like the excited and then sad, depressed Otto and then the, the happy again. And then the uh, the absolute beatdown that he gave the critic was just mwah, chef's kiss. So good. Okay. I think it'll come as no surprise. My favorite character this episode is Herkaby. I, I love the, the, the like little twist of his turning Malcolm's uh, term paper into the Milgram experiment. I think that's a fucking fantastic joke. And it, it is just such a good like extension of the rivalry between Malcolm and Herkaby. I love his super shitty car that he has. Just, like, all so fucking funny. <laughs> Look, I will give you the car thing, funny. The the Milgram experiment, actually pretty clever. Did not think of that. Uh, <laughs> rest of this, uh, no, he's a piece of shit. No, he's, no. he's, a, he's a hero. No. He's a hero. He's a villain. He's, he's showing Malcolm the error of his ways. He's showing him that By he's a piece worse? of shit. No, no, no. I guess you're right, but still. Like, as far as he's not worse than Malcolm. But, dude, he's he's a monster. <laughs> but, uh, moving on to our next award. Who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award to this episode? Your award for the best acting. Uh, so I had to give it to Justin Burfield. 
his scenes, especially where he's like opening up to uh, Malcolm and the like recorded scene of the the wishing hole and stuff, dude, just so good. I love it. I love watching this kid act. I love Reese episodes where he's being more than just your normal, you know, Reese. I just, I, I couldn't not give it to Justin Burfield here as much as I, I love seeing this side of that character. Okay. Uh, I gave mine to Eric Persullivan, m- mostly for the physical comedy in the, uh, you know, street performance routine that he does. It's like a lot of little things, like like the little saunter he does as he's like walking back into the crowd. Uh, just stuff like that. Very well done. It is very, very Hal-esque, which I appreciated. That's fair. That's fair. Then what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the detailer moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, reviews actually being printed in the paper. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that there was a daily newspaper, but especially the the reviews were printed in it rather than put online. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, this, for the most part, this type of, well, like, this, this idea of the uh, critic is sort of very 2000s as well. Yeah. Like, the, the idea of, like, a wealthy critic who has, like, gotten their name by being, you know, that this, like, very harsh critic doesn't really exist anymore because doing any sort of criticism now is pays, like, nothing <laughs> and kind of yeah. has to be done by someone who loves the thing that they're reviewing because it pays nothing. Yeah, exactly. But I uh went with speed dial being common enough that you can use it as a joke. <laughs> uh, I remember speed dial. Yeah, yeah. It's like like that whole the whole joke of Lois having it on speed dial. Like like you, you have to know like not just that speed dial was a thing, but that it was like a limited resource you had on your phone. You right. could only have like usually nine, maybe ten numbers on speed dial. Exactly. You had to choose. Yeah, that was a very important role. It was like, uh, you know, later on MySpace, you know, the the top eight or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's how you showed people who and what you cared about in life. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid award. Uh, who did you have as shittiest kid, David? Um, I had Malcolm. Shockingly. Huh. Weird. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> He read out everyone's private files, Jake. Yes, and, and that was his redemption. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and then he videotaped Reese. Uh, he violated Reese's trust. He betrayed his brother. I mean, the list goes on. Like, Malcolm, far and away shittiest kid this episode. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> This uh, th- this is I think is the episode that I have filed away, much like the episode where Reese poisons all those people. Of like, this is the worst Malcolm episode as far as just like being an absolute piece of shit. Right. <laughs> but uh, who did you have as your least shitty kid? So I had Francis as my least shitty kid. I mean, he was willing to confront critic 
and you know he used his uh, powers of persuasion to get the grotto a second chance, and he really he really humbled himself here, um, and then uh, he stuck up for his wife and his boss in in a in a very restrained manner. The man was allowed to continue talking as they wheeled him out, which is impressive. Wow. I mean, Francis committed an act of violence. Not all acts of violence are evil, Jake. Most acts of violence are evil, and I think this one qualifies. I disagree that most acts of violence are evil. That, that's an asinine assertion. <laughs> I disagree. No, it's it's a quali- it's a thing that you literally have to quantify to make it acceptable with things like self-defense. Violence on its own is inherently an evil. Nah. <laughs> okay. No, because by that logic, like hunting's evil, fishing's evil. You know, like eating. Uh, first, first of all, that's that's violence against animals which is a separate category still you said violence you said all acts of violence are evil i was very uh, careful i was paying attention to what you said i i said that you have to quantify it in ways to make it not evil like you just did right now by quantifying it to make it not evil you're proving my point no you're proving my point by saying that all of it's evil and then being like well not those ones i don't mean that I, <laughs> no, I'm saying by default it is evil. For instance, uh-huh. hunting I would not consider evil because it, it serves a function of providing sustenance to a person. Uh huh. I think if you're just going out and killing animals for fun, I do think that is evil. Well, yeah, because you're a piece of shit. Exactly. Yeah, but that's not what you. That's not what you started with. You you just said all acts of violence were evil. By default, yes. No. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> We need to teach you by default. Anyways, uh, but... Mo- no, moving... I'm right on this. <laughs> no, you're, you're definitely not. Uh, also, Francis's act of, as you call it, violence, not evil. No, it definitely is. Physically significantly harm someone. For being yeah. an asshole, but... I mean, not, look... Not at all justified. Not even close to justified. Are we or are we not okay with punching racists? Because, like, last I saw, punching Nazis was cool. Oh, so this, this guy's a Nazi. He's a super racist, which is equal level of evil, so I'm fine with it. Look, if you're a racist piece of shit and somebody punches you, I'm fine with it. Yeah, this also goes beyond punching. They put him in the hospital. Allegedly. No, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. They didn't have their day in court, Jake. It's fine. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Uh, But I went with Dewey. Ah. You mean the truant, uh, malfeasant child. Got it. Yes. Yes. Because Uh, compared to what everyone else in the episode does, that's the least shitty thing. Oh, oh, interesting. I'm surprised. I'm just surprised that I don't get like, you know, you over here. Because like if I had to pick Dewey, you'd make some argument being like, no, he was street performing. He's scamming people out of money or whatever. He didn't have a license to do that. No. I'm saying how you are. You are. No, that's a you argument going into the legality of it rather than <laughs> the morality of it. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. pro street performers, Dave. Uh, 
Depends he, on the he, day. He's honing... No. Always. He's honing his craft. He's learning a valuable skill. I, I was saying depends on the day, Jake. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Look, there's some days I just can't be asked. Like, he, leave me alone. He unintentionally bought the family a new washer and dryer? And that was a positive consequence of his negative action of hiding the money, correct? Yeah. And attempting to drop out of school. Yeah. I, I am... I am, ultimately, a consequentialist, so I'm fine with this. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Dewey's leash should he get here? Well, no. I will say, Francis is the obvious second place. Uh, Francis is the obvious first pick. Look, there's something to be said about standing up for what's right. And he did that. And then Otto joined in, and a little bit of gang violence may, may have happened. But that's, look, that's irrelevant yeah. and understandable. Yeah. There's something called pack aggression... It's a psychological thing, uh, and it's resulted in way worse things before. So on that whole, like, grading on a scale thing, you know, mm. yeah, it's fine. Mm. Besides, the guy was fine. Was he? Yeah, he was fine. He, he and, was hospitalized. <laughs> yeah, he was fine. And I mean, you know, like, let's let's be honest. Uh, he deserved it. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, if it had been, like, a punch... I, I I think so, but when they're pulling him out on a stretcher, eh, eh. <laughs> uh. I guess we know how you feel about the whole Will Smith thing now. Do we? This yeah. is very different. Is uh, Chris Rock was not being a racist piece of shit. No, he was being an ableist piece of shit. But I guess also, like, I don't know, comedians say dumb shit all the time. Like, Yeah, so do critics. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem, Jake. You know what? Yeah, let's smack all comedians. Let's smack all critics. I'm fine with this. You guys have a six-month hunting window, okay? And then hunting season's over. Wow. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is I fucking hate critics, and I understand this. So if he's a racist piece of shit and a critic, I'm not saying I would punch him because I'm in control of myself, but I would want to really oh, badly. Oh, oh, yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> This guy sucks. Yeah. Uh, not not to mention, he tanked the Denver Broncos for years. Oh, my. Jesus. <laughs> that might redeem him, actually. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I'm starting to see your point. Maybe the Broncos <laughs> should really take him back. Okay. Well, that wraps up our awards. But we have a couple segments left. Uh, beginning with the Cranston Connection. Uh, it was my job this week, and I see Hal becoming obsessed with uh, what, what's going on with all the money, money laundering uh, his company is doing as the source of anxiety later on when he is Walter White and ends up with a vast sum of drug money that he doesn't know what to do with. Uh, to the point that he just starts putting it all in a uh, storage shed because he uh, is just so unable to figure out what to do with this despite being, you know, capable in so many other ways. He seems to have just a, a large amount of trepidation about how to deal with the money. That's because he's seen it all go wrong before with this company that he used to work for. He's seen when you... Uh, you know, the, the uh, IRS figures out what's going on with money laundering schemes, how they crack down, and he understands how that could bring down his drug empire as well. See. And that's why he's 
He, he's just unable to do it himself. It's why uh, this, this problem doesn't get resolved until his wife takes care of it for him. I see. That's why he turns down the nail salon. He was, he was scared of the business. Uh, yeah, you have to be really careful with these things, and he knows that. Ah, yeah. He didn't want anyone pulling the jacket up over his head. And he doesn't even have a muffin guy to hide behind. I guess maybe Badger. I feel like he'd be their muffin guy. A hundred percent. Those are definitely some special, you know, muffins, if you know what I mean. Seems likely, yes. Yeah. There's no way that's just a regular recipe. Got some THC and psilocybin, man. Is that Badger or Shaggy from Scooby-Doo? They're different people? <laughs> Marginally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that the uh, I thought that Badger was just the nitty gritty dark Christopher Nolan Shaggy. No, that's the version <laughs> that shows up in Venture Bros. Oh fuck! He <laughs> <laughs> was essentially the son of Sam. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow. Well, that just leaves David's guessing game. Which, for this week, you predicted that Malcolm would get a camera from uh, school, which is what happened. Uh, though you predicted the AV club, which obviously was not the case. And you thought that he would be trying to catch Reese doing something bad in what you described as a Phineas and Ferb scenario. Uh, which obviously uh, wasn't quite the uh, reason for the filming here. Right. Yeah, I did mess that one up. Which you, you did uh, predict that there would be a Dewey-centric plotline, which in fact there was. Which uh, would have given you uh, more points if you had pulled the trigger on saying Dewey had a solo storyline, but you, you uh, decided to back out on that and just say it would be a Dewey-centric one. That's fair, yeah. And so I had you at an 87%. Uh-huh. Then... I reviewed uh-huh. the notes from last week's episode and remembered that uh, Eric demanded that you guess what color Francis's shoes would be this episode and that it'd be worth 2% of your grade. And you predicted very seriously and uh, intentionally that Francis would either be wearing brown or tan shoes. And you were correct. He is, in fact, wearing brown shoes this episode. So that brings you up to an 89%. Oh, boy. Look at me. See, aren't you glad that we made you guess on that now, David? It helped you. No, I'm not. I'm not happy of this abuse of power from, as you proclaimed him, the Dean of Discipline, Eric. Yeah. Also, Eric, do you like the fact that Jake called you Herkaby? Because after this episode, hmm. Fine. Herkaby's a hero this episode. I don't know what you're talking about. But I I, I mean, uh, he did, you know, come up with this... uh, particular brand of torture for you it's a very herkaby malcolm relationship going on (laughs) yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of it well uh speaking of this particular arrangement uh what do you think happens next week in malcolm's job uh well i think that as in true fashion with (laughs) and has happened with us I think the older boys are going to be told it's time to get a job. No more freeloading this summer for you idiots. And where we were made to, you know, scrape dirt during the day, I think uh, Reese and Malcolm are going to get forced to go get jobs. And Malcolm is going to go work at the Lucky Aid. Okay. Where do you think 
Reese is going to work then. Reese? Dude, I don't fucking know. I'm sure he'll find something, like maybe like a construction job where he can like, like you know, tear down crew or something, like hitting walls with a sledgehammer or some shit. Or like, I don't know, n- not really customer service, maybe like a, like a meat packing plant, maybe. Again, assuming that they're supposed to be in either Oklahoma or Southern California, that would make sense. A lot of cattle going through that area. Maybe a meat packing plant, maybe like a construction demolition crew, something along those lines. Maybe a scrapyard. Scrapyard would make sense. Okay. I'll take one of those three. I feel like that's a pretty safe bet. I'll allow it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, obviously, Malcolm's going to mess things up for Lois in some way. Maybe, like, you know, he starts looking at something and maybe, you know, they have, like... Okay, uh, to give you an example, when I worked at Walmart, right, like, uh, for a very small amount of time, there was clearly a more efficient manner in which to pull all the freight uh, once you got it all unloaded off the truck and get it put away. But then if you did it that way, that means we were done faster, so we'd lose out on hours and not get paid and not get anywhere near our full time, which they were already bad about cutting us off and not letting us get full time despite being full time employees. Right. So the guys that I worked with had the system in place and would keep new people from like breaking it so that we could, you know, eke out an extra like hour or two to get us to like at least the 36 mark so that we could be considered full time employees. Gotcha. Yeah. So I 100% could see Malcolm finding a system like that and then like ruining it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like, it's way more efficient if we do this. And then Craig being like, really, Malcolm? Gotcha. Um, yeah, I could see him, you know, ruining stuff for Lois that way. Or like, um, just in general being a lazy piece of shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have much of a guess besides that. I think he's going to be a pain in the ass for Lois. And probably a discipline problem because, you know, this is this is uh, at work. She can't beat the shit out of him here. Fair. <laughs> That's about all I got. Okay. Now, do you think Francis will wear a hat next week? Not touching it. Nope. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> You're already the worst, Jake. Don't make it worse. Okay. Or should I call well, you Herkaby? I mean, more like... Herokabi, am I right? You were definitely the wrongest you've ever been. Uh, Herokabi's done nothing wrong, never will. Yeah, then why is he telling a miner to delete his freaking hard drive? Clearly to protect his privacy from the villain Malcolm. That's not going to stop the paper. He's deleting evidence. Evidence doesn't necessarily imply guilt. What? <laughs> what? Oh, you cannot give me shit about the violence <laughs> argument at all now. <laughs> Innocent people delete their hard drives all the time. It's because a company starts deleting all their financial records. It doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. Okay, Sandpiper. <laughs> I'd say I can't believe the level of asinine that you're reaching for this bit, but no, I really can. <laughs> the sad part, I really, really can. <laughs> well, that uh, wraps this episode up. 
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support us financially, you could do so on Patreon, where we are Let's Play Death Ray. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy the... Wow, I gotta start that all over. My words slurred massively, I promise. I haven't even been drinking. My so you brain... get for making fun of me for saying door instead of chair earlier. <laughs> you deserved it. I stand by it. Uh, <laughs> That's the spirit. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream every single night, but Friday and Saturday nights, 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We do all sorts of different gaming and interact live with the chat. It's a ton of fun. We'd love to see you there. And as always, remember, life is unfair.